Hello, everyone. I'm Brian Carrington, and you're listening to Call Talk for March 18th, 2015. Today's topic is culture, how to build it and how to work with it. Now, if you're listening live, I'd like to invite you to be a part of the show and ask questions, and here's how you can do it. The most common way, of course, is by email. Send me your question at brian at benchmarkportal.com, and that's spelled out B-R-I-A-N at benchmarkportal.com. Now, if you're listening live or like to actually phone in, you can do that too. Here's the line to call into, 347 857 3117. Make sure to press the one on your phone. Let me know that you have a question and I'll get you in. Also, want to remind everyone that our shows are archived and available to listen to any time of the day that's good for you at our website, benchmarkportal.com. Then navigate to Call Talk and you'll see a plethora of shows and show topics we've done over the last couple of years. So, with that being said, let's do another one right now. And to do that, I want to introduce our host of Call Talk, Mr. Bruce Belfiore. Thank you, Brian, and welcome back to Call Talk, everyone. Today's topic, as Brian indicated, is culture, how to build and work with culture. And to some people, the whole idea of culture seems a little bit mushy, but actually, for those of us who are in the contact center business, we know how important it really is. It can condition everything about uh, the call center, the kind of service we give, the kind of atmosphere we have to work in, uh, the kinds of things that we have to either worry about or not worry about when we go home at night. So it's it's really so, so important. And we brought in an expert on the topic for you, Mr. Steve Chambers. And Steve joined Sutter Physician Services in 2012. His role as Senior Director of Patient Service Center Operations uh, has given him ability to have oversight of the Patient Service Center, a 700-employee centralized contact center in Salt Lake City, Utah, so a very large operation there. He has over 17 years of experience in the customer service and contact center industry, spanning several sectors, including healthcare, telecommunications, and retail. So his ability to talk to the culture issue is something that he can draw from a lot of different experiences. Now, uh, Steve received his BS degree from Utah State University and his MBA from Walden University. So it's my pleasure to welcome Steve Chambers. Hey, well, thank you, Bruce. That was very kind. I appreciate you having me on the show today. Okay, well, it's great to have you. And Steve, let's dive right in. Uh, Can you give us an overview and maybe some history about your call center and the culture at Sutter Physician Services? Yeah, absolutely. That's a really good question. Um, One of the characteristics of our culture at Sutter Physician Services, and I may refer to it as SPS uh, as we go along, is that we have a unique jargon that helps us describe our cultural progression. Um, For example, many of us describe our strong culture and its impact on our organization as a secret sauce. Um, However, there was a time at the beginning of our cultural journey where it was more of a strange brew. And our strange brew featured many different ingredients. Okay, hmm, a strange brew. And here we are, it's uh, March 18th, the day after St. Patrick's Day, so we'd like to know about strange brews. Uh, Tell us more about SPS's culture when it was considered a strange brew way back when. Yeah, absolutely. So fair point, being the day after St. Patrick's Day. Um, But in 2004... um, Some of the challenges with culture were a result of our strange brew. 
um, or what we like to call the strange brew, some of the factors that served as a barrier to creating a strong and healthy culture included some of the following. Uh, we had rapid growth and uh, consolidation of clients, an unclear vision, inconsistent levels of performance and expectations across the company, and quite frankly, some leadership uh, attitudes were inconsistent with a strong culture. Um, some were even disrespectful of employees' intelligence and uh, work ethic. You could hear phrases, and I've, I've heard them in other companies as well. Uh, you key what you see, and that was, a, that was meaning data entry clerks need to check their brains at the door, uh, butts, in, butts in a chair or butts in seats, which was code for don't get caught walking around, and uh, we know the business better than our clients, which was a pretty clear arrogance towards those who were paying our bills. Wow. Okay. Yeah. No, you got uh, quite a few components in there for your uh, mean minestrone or your strange brew. Uh, you know, just in terms of how management saw its uh, its colleagues who were in at the, the you know in in the agent position. Uh, butts and chairs is something that you hear. Butts and seats that, that we hear quite a bit of, and and also the arrogance toward the clients. So you know, I think we have a, a pretty good sense of your strange brew. In fact, it, it sounds like a a pretty toxic tequila to me. Um, tell us more. Yeah. So as you mentioned, it, it just was a toxic environment to be in, and it became clear that we needed to we needed to do something, and it needed to be done quickly. And we were committed to fixing this strange brew, this flat tire that we had in our organization. And we wanted to improve the cultural health of the organization as well. Okay, so so what did you do? How did you approach it, Steve? Yeah, the first thing we did is, is uh, we partnered with a third party to survey our leadership team. Uh, and then once that was done, we gathered our top leaders at a retreat to create our plan. And oh, okay. um, I, one I, of our I love senior our people – oh, sorry, Bruce. Okay. No, I was just going to say I love off-site retreats. Where did you guys go off to Hawaii or something like that? <laughs> no, we're in Northern <laughs> California, and so we got away to Lake Tahoe. It was a lot of fun, though. Not quite That's Hawaii. That's still nice. That's still nice. Good. Uh huh. Okay. And, and what happened there? Yeah, you know, one of our senior one of our senior leaders uh, in our billing division probably described it best when she said, "You guys are killing me. This is like a death by a thousand cuts." And looking back, this this retreat was really a catalyst for change in our organization. Hmm. How so? Um, you know, following the, the retreat, we, we came out with a really good plan, and there were four key steps we took to create a strong organizational culture. Uh, the very first thing we did was to take a cue from Jim Collins' book, Good to Great, and we got the right people on the bus. We knew that our first priority was senior leadership, was that senior leadership had to be fully committed and engaged with what they were doing and what we were trying to accomplish. And it was evident that some of our leaders weren't a good fit. And once we got the right people on the bus, the second step was to set clear expectations. Okay. You know, the thing about offsites is that they can oftentimes uh, help out simply by removing you from the toxic environment you're in. Uh, people feel liberated from the environment. They feel freer to think outside the box. And if uh, particularly there's some team building that goes on before you get into the heavy stuff, it can be very, very useful. So I just mentioned that for our listeners who are thinking perhaps, gosh, how am I going to turn around the culture in my call center? Uh, if you have the resources and the budget to do it, 
uh, think about having an offsite for your people and then really plan the components of that offsite really well. So, for instance, in your case, you were referring to the uh, Jim Collins book, Good to Great, which is a, a wonderful book. And if there's a little bit of homework that needs to go on ahead of time just to make sure that people are, you know, in the kind of mood where they can be more creative and more, uh, you know, helpful in terms of coming up with ideas, great idea. It's definitely a thing to do. And you don't necessarily have to go to Tahoe or to Hawaii. You can even go, to, you know, to the next town or a few towns away uh, to a little uh, off-season resort and find something that's uh, fairly inexpensive and uh, still really kind of uh, puts people in a different mood. Uh, would you agree with that, Steve? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I think getting away from the, the, I don't want to say distractions, but getting away from the office and being able to get give 100% into your work plan or, or the strategy uh, is key, is one of the key first steps to, to changing your culture. Right, and it's surprising how many people don't do that, and uh, particularly for culture. I mean, particularly for culture, this is an important thing to consider doing if you have to turn things around. So, uh, well, these are great insights on uh, what made the strange brew and, and what you did about it. Uh, what were some of the expectations created once the proper leadership were in place? Yeah, that's a great question, Bruce. So in order to set clear expectations, uh, we did a few things right off the bat. We developed principles around how we conduct business. Um, then we went and improved our ability to clearly communicate our vision and goals. And lastly, um, we identified several must-haves as an organization. And in those must-haves category, the very number one must-have was we were committed uh, to this kind of mantra, which is we value people by treating each other, our clients, and our patients with respect, integrity, and compassion. And as an example of this, we developed a servant leadership model, and, and leaders are expected to serve their employees. Okay. And this is very important, and the toughest thing is to get people to actually act on it when they are faced with a challenge or faced with a decision or even faced with a conversation within the call center. Uh, they may have to break some habits, and so they need to have this sort of, you know, uh, brought home to them so that they, they actually do treat people, their colleagues, their clients, et cetera, with those, uh, those attributes that you were just talking about. But can you give us some examples of how this was done? Because I think it would be useful for our listeners to know not just uh, the thoughts that you had, but how you actually put them into practice. Yeah, sure. You're absolutely right. Um, you have to change the way that you, you think and go about some things, and we established some things that have now – uh, become traditions. And so some of the ways that we serve employees um, and that have become traditions are huddles with senior leadership uh, where we talk to employees and we'll frequently ask during the course of that conversation and certainly at the end of that conversation, what can I do for you? Uh, we have quarterly celebrations for employees of the month and then we have a summer barbecue where leaders uh, literally serve the staff. Mm-hmm. No, uh, great, great uh, specific examples uh, that uh, people might be able to put into practice. I was at a call center uh, where I happened to be there um, for a consulting engagement on a day when their management were serving the uh, employees of the month from the previous month at a uh, catered luncheon that was in the conference room. 
And so they asked me if I would take part, you know, if I'd be a good sport and take part. I said, absolutely. I think this is great. So I took one of the um, serving towels, put it over my arm, and I was there, you know, serving the, the lunch along with the rest of the, the management team to the uh, agents who had gotten employee of the month for the previous month. And it really made for a very nice atmosphere. It was a lot of fun for everybody. And I think it uh, helps also to break down some of the, um, you know, hierarchical elements and, and make people communicate better. Uh, would you agree with that, Steve? Yeah absolutely. yeah, absolutely. It's become a fun tradition for us as leaders. We have our we have our aprons and we have our hats that we serve in. Um, but but you're absolutely right. When we put those on, um, and when we're there serving food to the employees, um, the conversations take a whole different a uh, different I don't want to say different tone, but but they have a different feel to them. And you break down any barriers that might be there and. And it's just you and the employees, and you learn a lot during those times. Oh, okay. I'll see if I can make it for your next barbecue. <laughs> We'd love to have you out. <laughs> Thank you very much. Okay, yeah, tell us some more. Yeah, so in, in addition to valuing people, which was our first must-have, another must-have is a deliberate bias for action. Um, we also rely on a mutual trust between leadership and employees. And by mutual trust, we as leaders um, – we trust and have confidence that our employees will make the right decisions and complete their tasks on time in a high-quality way. And in turn, our employees um, have come to trust us that we will meet and consider their needs when making any business decisions. Yeah, this, this trust factor is so important. We did a research uh, paper that was based on 5,000 agent uh, surveys uh, throughout North America and really, really interesting things came out. And, and one of the things was that trust is absolutely key. And unfortunately, in many situations, it doesn't exist. Or it exists on a partial basis. So for our listeners, uh, think about the fact that in, some, uh, in, in numerous cases, people have a good, warm trust relationship within their supervisor group. But that doesn't extend to the next level up. And it, it doesn't. And it, it, it get the farther up you get from the agent level, the less the trust relationship. So this is something that should be of concern to uh, call center managers, and which has a, an impact on the way uh, agents view their jobs and view their companies. And you want obviously people who are you know raving fans of your company, if possible, as employees. Uh, they're going to do more for you, and they're going to do more with you, and they're going to have an impact on your culture. So uh, having the trust go up the line, uh, the way Steve is talking about it, I think is extremely important. Steve, would you have anything to add to that? I, I think you're hitting the nail on the head. Um, you know, there's that old saying that that employees don't quit their job, they quit their supervisor, and certainly mm -hmm. by extension the rest of leadership. And, and that will boil down to – something that has broken that trust, whether it was a payroll issue or, or whatever it could be. So as we're taking care of our employees and we do that over and over, we build that trust, um, they will in turn uh, do their part, which is um, complete high-quality work and, and make right decisions and make decisions that are right for the business. I think you're right on. Okay, great. And if any of our listeners are interested in receiving a copy of that um, report, which is called Agent Voices, you know, we always talk about the voice of the customer. 
this report was the first major uh, report ever done uh, with 5,000 people called, and it's called Agent Voices. Uh, please let Brian know, and he'll make sure that you get uh, get a copy of that. So, are there any other uh, must-haves in terms of uh, what you determined in your call center, Steve? Yeah, actually, the really the last must-have is that we purposely engage stakeholders and seek input in in any decision-making process. So all of these things point us towards what I believe is critical to our success, which is making personal accountability the norm. Mm. Um, and then, then the next step for us was to weave those expectations into our daily operations. Uh, so we embed them into our annual work plan. We uh, reworked our programs, policies, and systems so that these principles are reflected and continually reinforced. And uh, we felt we needed them to be clearly evident in, in a couple of things. How we make decisions, um, who we recruit and hire, how we train, develop, and evaluate staff, um, how we relate to one another, and most importantly, just how we work. Mm, yeah. Oh, wow. You've really uh, covered things uh, A to Z there. Um, there's a lot of, lot of uh, good management points in those, uh, making decisions, recruiting and hiring. How do you do that? Who do you do that with? Uh, developing and relating and, and working together. All important stuff. Very good. Yeah, thank you. So the, the, last, the last step that we had after we'd done the, the things we've just talked about, um, the last step we had in creating a strong culture was to develop and implement ways uh, to measure how we were performing. We didn't want to just measure performance in pockets and silos because if you do that, you're not getting the full benefit of a culture. Uh, you're not getting a company-wide culture. Um, so we looked for ways that we could measure how we were doing organization-wide. And we have a work plan which guides our work but isn't so locked down that it can't be flexible. Uh, we have standard controls and established performance benchmarks. And we survey our clients twice a year to assess their perception of our performance and stay in touch with their needs. Okay, good. Well, of course, I loved hearing that you have the controls and uh, performance benchmarks. We're big, big believers in those. And, well, you know, it's clear to me and I'm sure our audience uh, that you and your team have put a lot of effort into making changes. Um, you know, how have you seen the fruits of your labor in action? Yeah, that's a good question. So we've succeeded in transitioning from what we talked about earlier, this strange brew, into a secret sauce, and we believe we've created a, a strong culture. And I believe it is culture that uh, – or it's it's this specific culture that can help open the door for sustained business success in the form of growth, uh, diversification, and profitability. Um, I'm happy to report that we've added an additional $180 million, um, and earned outstanding client satisfaction scores. Um, and the reason that we, we could do this and we could achieve these performance uh, metrics is directly attributable to our culture. And, wow, I mean, that is a big statement to make. That's a, a huge, uh, you know, sort of kudo for your, your your center. Can you give us other examples? Yeah, thank you. Um, one, of the, uh, one of the other uh, decisions or, or big cultural, um, one, of, one of the big decisions that we made that we can attribute to culture uh, is we decided to expand our call center capability and determined that Salt Lake City was the best place to do that. 
And uh, I can assure you that cultural elements of San Francisco are much different than those in Salt Lake City. Um, but because we had a tight company culture and some some good foundational pillars, um, I can I can tell you that over the last three years we've done exceedingly well as we've done as we've gone through that transition. Uh, we've met our service level metrics. We've proactively reduced our costs, and we have expanded our service offerings. Mm, okay, that's great. Well, you know, these are, are really good insights, and uh, it sounds like a very successful endeavor, endeavor and transition that you've made. Uh, I noticed that, that Brian has some questions for you. Uh, Brian, can I hand it over to you? Sure. Yep, i got a couple emails already, and uh, so we'll start with uh, number one. And obviously, listening to the conversation, I can tell this is not something that happened overnight. Uh, so perfect question comes from Kathy. How long did it take to transform your culture? Good question. Thanks for that, Kathy. Um, I mentioned that we we identified the problem back in, in 2004. Um, transforming and protecting uh, culture is a, is a constant work in process. We've been at it for, for about 10 years, a little over 10 years now. Um, however, we really started to see our culture change after the first few years. Um, we made some of those immediate those immediate changes, uh, had the retreat, as I mentioned, um, and then it started to take hold. And within a few few couple of years, uh, we had seen some good changes. Perfect. Thank you. Uh, another one. Uh, you know what? You uh, you make it sound pretty easy, Steve. I have to admit, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> you guys have come a long way, and you've I'm sure gone through a lot of hurdles and, and obstacles through the process. And so, uh, if you could take some time and really dive into this question, it comes from Mark, and he's asking, what are some of the obstacles you encountered along the way? Yeah, um, excellent question, Mark um, and Brian. You're you're uh, right on that. Um, it, it may be sounded easy here. I alluded to a few of those. Um, transforming culture is a is a big change. You're going to press up against people's paradigms and the way that they've gone about doing things for probably for a very long time. Um, and you will always find some in any population that are resistant to change for whatever that reason may be. Um, so making sure I'm going to go back to that that very first statement earlier in the conversation, making sure that you have the right people on the bus is going to uh, that are willing to support the change, that are bought into the process. Um, that that's critical to your success and uh, and one of the obstacles that we faced, and I believe other organizations would face as well. You know, mm -hmm. If I could just add, too, I think one of the things that's important is to uh, give people a heads up on what's going to happen. Um, you know, I, I have a dentist when I was a kid who just sort of would go into my mouth and start doing stuff. Uh, my dentist now is very communicative, and he'll tell me ahead of time what's going to hurt and what's not going to hurt and, uh, you know, how it's going to feel afterwards and, and all that sort of thing. And if you give people a heads up on what the plan is, uh, and what they may go through, and even perhaps give them an article to read on the Valley of Tears, you know, the uh, typical situation where when there's any change that's coming about, maybe the installation of some new technology or some new, uh, you know, initiatives that have to do with culture, et cetera, that everybody has very high expectations, a little bit of trepidation as well, but high expectations, so things go to a high point, and then 
sometimes it's, I mean, it's almost always harder than you expect to actually adapt to it. And uh, there'll be some people who kind of uh, fall into despair and will go down into the valley of tears. And then the, slowly they'll realize how it is that they need to adapt and the reason for doing the adaptation, and things will start going up again. Well, you can not necessarily totally take away the, um, uh, the problems, but you can smooth out the hard edges by giving, uh, you know, heads up. I think it's the uh, same sort of thing we try to do with our kids uh, to – uh, try to smooth out some of the hard edges. We can't take them away, but by giving them a heads up on on the things to expect, and, and when they go to school or uh, do other programs, etc. And and so that kind of communication, uh, which needs to be ongoing and continual, can oftentimes help out in terms of transformation. Steve, does that uh, resonate with you at all? Do you have any uh, any thoughts on yeah, that? Yeah, it absolutely does. You're not you're not going to get buy into the process unless people know what's coming. And I, I kind of danced around it a little bit. So maybe if I could be more direct, one of the things that we, uh, that we talked about earlier is uh, getting people to buy in or, or getting soliciting their feedback, not just buy in, but soliciting their feedback as much as possible uh, on major decisions. So by going through that process, um, you a have alert, alerted them to the fact that there's some change potentially coming, um, and you're getting um, their feedback on what works well, what doesn't, what they would like to see, um, and and through that process, um, even if it's not exactly what the feedback was, um, or you don't take you don't implement every suggestion, um, they were engaged and and they're now bought into what the change is. Mm -hmm. and, and I think in some cases too, you want to do what they're suggesting. But uh, you can only do so much at once. Bandwidth will only allow, and sort of people's ability to absorb and to change, et cetera, needs to be sequenced. And also, if uh, in some cases they're asking for things that require technology, right, as well, and you don't always have budget or the ability to do that immediately, but if you can come up with a uh, you know proper, sequenced, logical plan that's well communicated, then you can uh, you can really cover a lot of bases and make a lot of people you know happier and I think uh, less confused, more on board, and um, more in tune with the with the culture. Exactly right. Okay, back to you, Brian. Okay, great. Uh, you know, I just love the idea of change. So I have one more question from Kristen, but before we get to her question, I wanted to ask you, uh, Steve, around change. You know, everyone struggles with change. No one really likes change after a while. So uh, I wanted to follow up and ask you, regarding change, uh, were there any big surprises, whether positive or negative, uh, around the folks that you were putting through the process? You know, maybe there were some folks that you saw, this person's going to get on the bus for sure. Maybe that person is not. We're probably not going to make it through the process. But were there surprises, you know, anything that uh, you didn't expect? Um, I, I think the big surprise... Um, as we've gone through a couple of different, and I'm going to look at some more recent examples of things that we've done. Um, I think the big surprise oftentimes is um, there's some really good ideas out there, and and uh, it never ceases to amaze me. We we it's a cultural pillar for us to solicit feedback, but it never ceases to amaze me what great ideas are out there, and. Um, so I, I just 
I'm a big advocate of going out and, and soliciting as much feedback as you can um, from everybody in the organization um, to weigh in on these big decisions because there's great stuff and you'll find something that, that you've either missed or perhaps even a better way to go about something that you hadn't considered before. Yeah, if I could just add to that too, because Brian, I think that's a great question. And uh, you think about how in today's world uh, with social media, crowdsourcing is a big deal, you know, for getting answers, for finding out things, et cetera. And sometimes as managers, we forget that there's great crowdsourcing that can be had right in our own organizations as well as from our own uh, customers. So, yeah, very, very good. Okay, great. Thanks, guys, for that. Uh, so then the final question comes from Kristen, and it actually kind of fits right in here, too, is imagine someone, uh, here's the program, is like, great, <laughs> this sounds good to me, I'd love to do the same kind of thing that Steve has done, but Kristen says, do you have any advice for starting to change the culture within an organization? Yeah, that's uh, Kristen, that's a really good question. Um, and, and I think I would answer it this way. I I know for us it ha it had to start from the, from the top, and I'm a firm believer that that um, a cultural change where you're going to go across divisions um, and you're really going to morph your organization over the next few years, uh, that cultural change has to start from the top. Um, uh, your your executive leadership um, has to be completely bought in, and in fact, the ones that are that are driving that change, um, and and by doing that. Uh, the rest of the organization will follow, and and you'll see the results that you're looking for. Yeah. Okay. I I, I would agree with that. I mean, it, you really need the senior level support for this. And uh, for those who are listening, who are the senior level uh, and want to see culture change, uh, don't just sort of delegate that for somebody else to do. Uh, obviously, delegate the appropriate things but be in back of it, really support it, really uh, become part of it, and make sure that it's not something that you're trying to do on paper, but something that's really felt by you as well as by all of your people. It's got to be genuine. If it's not genuine, it doesn't work. So uh, I think that's a you know great question, great answer. And with that, I think we've uh, used up our half hour. We're at the bottom of the uh, the hour right now, and uh, I would just like to thank Steve so much for coming on Call Talk. Uh, great insights uh, for us and for our listeners, really sharing uh, these kinds of experiences and what's actually been done is, is extremely, extremely valuable. So, Steve, thanks very much for coming on. Well, thank you very much. This was my pleasure. Okay. And with that, I'll uh, hand things over to Brian. All right. Well, thanks, guys. Yeah, thanks again to our special guest today, Steve Chambers, and our host, Bruce Belfiore. A lot of good, insightful discussion on the show today. And um, I want to remind you also not to forget to sign up for a free Reality Check Benchmark Report to see how your contact center compares to others in the industry. So again, we'll be doing this once every month. So join us either next month or check out some of our older uh, issues that we have online at BenchmarkPortal.com. Small of us here at Benchmark Portal, keep those headsets steady and your fingers ready. This is Brian Carrington signing out. Have a great day.
And that's a wrap. Have a good one.